heads out, I will invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, if you're looking in the Pew Bible, you ought to find it on page 1198. Romans chapter 5. Last, last weekend, I got to be a part of uh, Ben and Beth Presley's wedding. And next month, I'll get to be a part of Ryan and Carrie Richburg's wedding. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite parts about being a pastor, uh, is getting to walk alongside uh, a couple who's preparing for marriage. Um, I am not a marriage expert, and... Uh, Rebecca quietly said amen to herself as I said that. Um, I've been doing it for, for almost 12 years, uh, but most of the counsel that I give to couples, I'm simply passing along from someone else who's been married a whole lot longer and who gave counsel to me. I was thinking about that this week. I thought about one of my favorite pieces of advice I've ever heard. It's something I've heard Brother Al Jackson at Lakeview in Auburn say on many occasions. He would say, you don't fall in love, you fall in a hole. And you don't fall out of love, you fall out of a tree. And the point is that while love certainly involves feelings, it is also an act. It's a, it's a choice. And when a couple enters a marriage covenant, they're not just declaring how in love they are with one another. They are making promises to one another, promises which should not be broken simply because of, of feelings. I'm sure, again, please don't say anything out loud, Rebecca, but I'm sure there are times when she does not feel so lovey-dovey towards me, but those are the times when we have to choose to fight for love and wait for our feelings to catch up. It's kind of like, um, and I'm sure you've had this experience of, of being so sick that you don't have an appetite. You don't feel like eating or drinking. But you still have to keep trying to eat and drink even when you don't feel like it. You choose to eat and drink and then you wait for your appetite to catch up. I want us to apply that same idea to the Christian virtue of joy this morning. In Galatians 5, Paul describes joy as the fruit or evidence of the Spirit, meaning that if someone is a Christian, they should exhibit some measure of joy in their life. In Philippians 4, Paul explicitly commands believers, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. But how can I rejoice in the Lord always, even at the times when I don't feel joyful. That's when we have to fight for joy. And that's what I want us to see this morning here in Romans 5. So let's read together. Romans 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We'll stop there and let's pray together. God, this is your word, 
And so it carries your truth and your authority, and I pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to what you have said today. God, that there would be no one here today who would hear what you say and, and think, well, that's not how I feel. That doesn't line up with my experience. But Lord, that we would surrender to the reality which you put before us here in your word. And I pray that the result of this would be great help to your church. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I have spoken from this pulpit before uh, about some of my own struggles with uh, depression. Uh, if you've never been depressed, it can be difficult to understand. One reason I think it's so difficult to understand is because it's so difficult to explain. If you ever listen to someone try to explain depression, they almost always resort to figures of speech. Even in the Bible, the places that talk the most about what we would call depression are the, the poetic books. Um, I once heard someone describe depression as a, a virus that attacks your brain with negative thoughts. Of course, that's not literally true, but it does convey the experience of it. Depression alters the way you perceive the reality around you. It blurs your thinking. It mutes your emotions. I bring that up because I don't want us to overlook the irony of someone who struggles with depression preaching a sermon on joy. I am very aware of that. Um, for most of us, joy sometimes wells up spontaneously. It, it seems to happen to us. So I'm thinking of, you know, the day on our wedding day when I saw Rebecca or, or when our, our sons were, were born. Uh, I'm thinking of this past Friday night when Nixon walked into Dick's Sporting Goods and his head almost exploded with joy at all the stuff there. Um, uh, so, so for all of us, joy sometimes seems to happen to us. There are some people who seem to have a greater capacity for joy than others. Uh, it just seems to come more easily to them. And if that's you, praise God. Uh, but it is true of everyone, no matter how great your capacity for joy, it's true of everyone that we sometimes have to fight for joy because we don't feel like it. We don't feel it. And so I, I speak to you as one who often has to fight for joy. And so what I want to do is I want, to, I want us to look at, at what I think is a very, very helpful passage in God's Word and see if we can get some help for those times when we have to fight for joy. And whether that is only occasional for you or whether it's frequent, well, let's, let's get some help here from God's Word. So... Two truths that I want to outline about joy this morning. The first truth is that joy is more than a feeling. It's a choice. And I apologize in advance if that song is stuck in your head the rest of the day. More than a feeling. Um, but this is an important point to make. That joy is not just a feeling that happens to me but it's something I can choose either to do or not to do. How do I know that? How do I know that joy is not just a feeling? I know that because God commands us to rejoice. Simple as that. God commands us to rejoice. When Paul says here, 
in uh, Romans 5, verse 2, for example, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, the ESV has a footnote that says that that can be translated and let us rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So sometimes if you're wanting to sort of give a command, there are, there are two ways you can go about it. You can say, rejoice. Or you can say, hey, let's, let's rejoice. Now that, that second way, it's kind of a more encouraging, you know, let's, hey, let's rejoice. That's the sense of what Paul says here. But I already mentioned um, Philippians 4, where God explicitly says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The fact that God commands us to rejoice certainly implies that rejoicing is not just something that happens to us, but it's something we can choose either to do or not do. Paul doesn't just say rejoice when you feel like it, rejoice whenever joy wells up spontaneously. The, the command is rejoice in the Lord always. So it's not just an involuntary feeling. It is a choice. The word rejoice, it's really, really important. We're going to spend some time this morning thinking about that word. What does it mean to rejoice? Paul says it twice here. He says in verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And then in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What does he mean when he says we rejoice? There's a couple ways we could try to go about that. We could look up you know, Merriam-Webster Dictionary and say, well, what's the definition of rejoice? The problem is every word can have a range of meaning. Uh, words can mean slightly different things depending on the context. I'll give you an example. What does the word green mean? What's the definition of the word green? You'd say, well, it's a color. It's on the spectrum between blue and yellow, right? But is that the only thing that the word green can mean? No. Somebody could say, yeah, I was out on the green the other day. They're not talking about... They weren't standing on a, you know, just a, a, a piece of paper that was green. They were standing on a golf course, right? Um, what if we say, man, that guy over there, he looks kind of green. You know? Well, we're not saying that that guy is some alien who's a different color. We're saying he's, he kind of looks a little sick. You know, he looks a little nauseated. We can use green to mean somebody who's, who's envious. It can describe somebody who's inexperienced or untrained. That guy looks a little green. You know, he looks kind of like he's out of, out of his, uh, his expertise. Um, it can refer to a vegetable. Have you had your greens today? It can refer to money. It can refer to something that is eco-friendly. So the word green can mean a whole lot of different things depending on the context. The same is true of, of many words in the Bible. I'm not suggesting we can just kind of make words mean whatever we want. I'm saying that we have to pay attention to the context. It's not a matter of looking it up in a dictionary all the time. We have to pay attention to how does the author use this word. So how does Paul use the word rejoice? That's the question. That's how we're going to figure out what he means by it. If you're looking in the ESV, uh, the ESV has a footnote that says that the word rejoice can mean boast. And if you're reading a different translation, your translation may even translate it as boast or something like glory. We, we glory in our sufferings or something along those lines. So 
most of the time when Paul uses this particular word, the ESV translates it as boast. I'll give you two examples. Galatians 6.14 But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word translated in Galatians 6.14 as boast is the exact same word Romans 5, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings. And then 1 Corinthians 1.31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Same word translated in Romans 5 as rejoice. So when we hear the word rejoice, I think the definition we have in our mind is something like to feel or to express joy. In fact... That's the dictionary definition of the English word rejoice. I looked it up in Merriam-Webster. To feel or express joy. Sometimes that's how the Bible uses that word, but there's another shade of meaning to this word, and it's one that Paul uses quite a bit. He uses the word to mean boasting. Now, of course, this is not sinful boasting. Sinful boasting is when we express confidence in ourselves in a prideful way. Another way we could say that is sinful boasting is when we, we put trust in ourself. So what then does it mean to boast righteously? To boast righteously would be to express confidence and trust in God. And that seems to me to be a good definition of what Paul means when he uses the word rejoice here in Romans 5. When he says we rejoice, he means we express confidence and trust in God. Now you can understand why the translators would want to just keep it to rejoice because it would kind of get a little bit unwieldy, but that's why I say that joy is more than a feeling. Because when we hear the command to rejoice, when we hear Paul say in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. We don't need to hear that as a command just to be happy or to express happiness. It's, it's possible to boast in the Lord, to express confidence and trust in Him, even when we do not feel joyful. Paul even says here that we rejoice in our sufferings, not, not because of our sufferings, but in the midst of them. We can choose to continue trusting in the Lord and, and to continue speaking of His goodness and wisdom and mercy even when we cannot see His goodness and wisdom and mercy as clearly as we see them at other times. Even when we can't see them, we don't feel them, we still know that they are true. And that leads us to the second truth that we can see about joy. First is that it's more than a feeling, it's a choice. And second is that joy begins with what we know to be true. Joy begins with what we know to be true. I want you to notice a really important word in verse 3. Not only that, Paul says, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing. In other words, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know something. And when I saw that, it kind of unlocked this whole passage and I realized, oh... Paul's not just talking about we can know that suffering produces endurance and all that, but everything he says here about rejoicing 
is resting on some truth, something that we can know to be true, specifically three truths that He rests our joy on. First is He rests our joy on our present position in Christ. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when He says we there, He's speaking of believers. If you have trusted in Christ, Paul says you have been justified by faith, which means that by faith, God has declared you to be as righteous as Jesus is righteous. That's what it means to be justified by faith, to be counted righteous, that God considers you to be righteous, not because you actually are righteous, but on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus and the work that He did on the cross. So when Jesus lived a sinless life and died on the cross... And then we trust in Him. Paul says that He who had no sin became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. There's this exchange where my sin is counted to Jesus and His righteousness is counted to me. Paul says, since that is the case, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because... God's wrath against my sin has been dealt to Jesus. And then he says in verse 2, Through Him, that is through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So we have access to God. We are recipients of His grace. That is, if someone's in Christ, if they've trusted in Him, that's our present position. Is we're righteous, we have peace with God, we have access to His grace by faith. That's our present position. And that's why we can have joy. Second, second truth is our future hope and glory. Look again at the end of verse 2. He says, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So if someone is a follower of Christ... God has already declared them to be righteous. But one day He's going to make them actually perfectly righteous. That's what Paul means when he speaks of the hope of the glory of God. This hope is not wishful thinking. It's not like, I hope that one day it will be. It's confident expectation. It's, I can anticipate with certainty that He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That day has not yet come, which is why I can only speak of it in terms of hope, but it is certain. Hope is certainty in something we cannot see. We know that, that we will see God's glory even though we can't see it yet. And that is one more reason for us to rejoice. And the third truth is our ongoing growth in sufferings. We can rejoice because if I've trusted in Christ right now at this very moment, no matter what my circumstances say to me, I am justified, declared righteous by faith in Christ. I have access to God. My hope is secure but not only that, not only is God one day going to make all things new, one day. Notice what Paul says also in verse 3. There's, there's something about what's happening right now too. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we can rejoice not only because of the glory that is to come in the future, but also we can rejoice in the sufferings that we will endure until then. Now when Paul speaks of sufferings, what's he talking about? He's not just talking about persecution. That word, sufferings, is a word that he uses to mean any negative effect of living in a fallen world. It's an all-inclusive word. It captures everything from minor problems to major disasters, from coughs to cancer, headaches to heart attacks, depression to dementia, poverty to persecution, warts to wars, anxiety to aneurysms, disappointments to death, everything in between. We can rejoice in any and every trial why? Notice, because we know something. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. If we don't know these truths, then we are far less likely to rejoice in any and every situation. But if I know that my position is secure in Christ... If I know that my future is certain in Christ, and if I know that every hardship is one of God's vessels to get me from here to there, then I can rejoice. No matter how good or how bad my circumstances are, I can continue expressing trust in God because I know that my position is not, has nothing to do with my circumstances. My future has nothing to do with my circumstances. It's all about what God has done in Christ. I know that He is trustworthy. I know that He is working all things together for my good and for His glory. Joy begins with what we know to be true. I, I want to give you a biblical example of what this looks like in practice. Because sometimes it can be helpful, you know, you kind of talk about this in theory, but to actually sort of figuratively see someone do it. And we see many examples of this in Scripture. I want to give you just one example from Lamentations chapter 3. These are the words that Jeremiah wrote at a very, very, very dark time in Israel's history. And he says this, he says, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Now, I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> I've been to counseling, but I'm not a counselor. But Jeremiah sounds like somebody who, if he were to go to a counselor, would say, Brother, you sound like you're depressed. I have forgotten what happiness is. I don't have any peace. My endurance has perished. I just can't go on anymore. And my hope is dead. In other words, he does not feel joyful. He feels defeated and hopeless. But notice what he says next. But... This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So when Jeremiah feels depressed, downtrodden, despairing, whatever label you want to put on that, what does he do? He calls truth to mind. 
He says, I'm, I'm going to call these things to mind. I'm going to remind myself of these things, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. And then, notice, he turns and talks to God. Great is your faithfulness. He focuses on what he knows to be true. And that is what helps him continue to express confidence and trust in God. He doesn't just say, you know what? I'm blessed. I just need to be, I just need to have more joy. He calls specific truths to mind. Not vague. Not vague truths like, oh, I'm blessed. But specific truths about God's character. His love is steadfast. It doesn't quit. His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Every morning that I wake up, there are going to be more mercies for me. Tomorrow morning and the day after that and the day after that. His faithfulness is great. So when he feels joyless and defeated and hopeless, he reminds himself of truth about God's character. And we can do the same thing. Whether or not we feel joyful, we can continue expressing confidence and trust in God. Now let me say this. I said at the beginning that there are some people who seem to have more capacity for joy than others. They, they have, um, it just seems to come more easily to them. Whether you are that person or the person who tends to have to fight for joy, we all need to do this because the danger is that you could have this huge capacity for joy, but you have joy in all the wrong things. You know, you think, about, you think about Job. Satan comes to God and God says, Have you thought about Job? Have you considered my servant Job? And what does Satan say to God? He says, God, the only reason Job blesses you is because of how good you've been to him. You know, he's wealthy. He's got a bunch of kids. His life's good. I guarantee if you take all that stuff away, he's going to curse you. And so it turns into this contest where they're, well, okay, well, let's see what Job does. And that kind of thing plays out all the time in our lives, whether we have good circumstances or bad circumstances. The question is, where am I placing my joy? If my circumstances are easy, am I placing my joy in the ease of my circumstances? How smooth everything seems to be going? Or am I placing my joy in the steadfastness of God's love and the unceasing mercies that are His. So we can express confidence and trust in God even when we don't feel that way. Now, an important question. Is this hypocritical? Is, is it hypocritical for us to express confidence in, in God if that's not really how we feel on the inside? I'll be very personal. I'll use a very personal example here. Um, last year, I went through a really tumultuous time in my own soul. And there were several Sundays. There was one Sunday in particular I'm thinking of where Colby came into my office and I said to him, I don't know if I can do this, man. And he was starting to panic a little bit. Because I was so anxious. I was shaking, couldn't catch my breath. I would get up here and I would start preaching. And the whole time I'm preaching about God and His character and all that, I'm thinking, 
I'm not good enough. This is not good enough. And I would leave, I would get in the car, and I would, Rebecca would say, how do you think that was? I, that was the worst sermon I've ever preached. I, she'd say, I thought that was pretty good. And I knew in my head that I had been faithful, but I didn't feel that way. I felt as if I was a failure. Was that hypocritical of me to continue to express confidence in God, even though on the inside I didn't feel that way? Now, I'm not suggesting we should be deceptive, but I am suggesting that we can know something to be true even if we don't particularly feel joyful because of it. What we know and how we feel can get out of sync with one another. The key is that we have to act on the basis of what we know, not on the basis of how we feel. I want to I share this illustration. There's a Christian counselor named Robert Somerville who gives a really helpful illustration along these lines. And this illustration allowed me to hold on. He said, he said this, If my tongue is burned so that I cannot taste good food, that does not mean I can't eat and my body can't absorb the food. I must keep eating. And as I continue to nourish my body, the tongue will heal and the flavor will be restored. Even so, you can keep clinging to Christ and cry out to God, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So think about that. If I burn my tongue, is it hypocritical to keep eating? No. That's common sense. That's necessary for survival. Even if I can't taste the food, even if I can't enjoy it, I still know that it's necessary. I may not get as much joy out of the eating experience as I do at other times, but I still need to eat. In a similar way, there are times when we must choose to rejoice in God even when we don't feel joyful. Our feelings of joy may be weakened by circumstances or by sin, but it's not hypocritical to express confidence in God then. That's precisely when we need to do that the most, is when we least feel it. That's what we see Jeremiah do. It's the, it's the time when he says, I've forgotten what happiness is. I have no peace, I have no endurance, I have no hope. That's when he says, but this I call to mind. So I want to give you two practical ways that we can try to cultivate joy. We've talked about what joy is. So how do we cultivate more of it? First, put yourself in a position to hear truth. Put yourself in a position to hear truth. We've seen that joy begins with what we know to be true. If that's the case, it stands to reason that it's important that we regularly consume the truth. Because if I'm consuming lies, or if I'm not consuming truth, then my ability to rejoice is going to be greatly diminished. We have to be reminded of truth over and over again. Sadly, for many people, when joy is in short supply, what I see happen is their temptation is to isolate themselves from truth. They sort of step away when what they need is to, to come closer. We need food when our tongue is burned 
and we need truth when our feelings of joy are diminished. So whatever it takes, put yourself in a position to hear truth. And let me just say, just so that I'm not making you kind of read between the lines here. Uh, I said at the very beginning uh, about you know premarital counseling and how much I enjoy that. Every time I sit down with a couple, the thing I, I tell them every time, and I, I say, even if I weren't a pastor, I would tell you this. Even if you go to another church, I would, whatever, I don't care, I'll tell you this. The most important thing, the most important discipline you can do that's going to help your marriage last is, is to go to church week after week after week. Because... When you go to church, what are you going to do? You're going to hear truth. You're going to hear God's Word. You're going to hear it from the pastor, hopefully. You're going to hear it in the songs you sing, hopefully. You're going to hear it in Sunday school or whatever. Maybe you might even have a conversation with someone. You're going to be in a position where you're going to hear truth, and that's what we need. So it's not hypocritical to go to church when you don't feel like it, uh, when you don't feel joy. That's when you most need it. You need to be pumping truth into your system. So first, put yourself in a position to hear truth. Second, continue expressing trust in God. Just don't stop expressing trust in God. Sometimes we have to say it and say it and say it until we start to feel it again. So what are some ways we do that? What are some ways we can boast in the Lord or rejoice in the Lord? We, we sing His praise. That's, that's a big one. That's a way that we can express trust in God. We fellowship with and pray with His people. We, we get together with other believers and we pray with them and they have opportunities to pray for us and we have an opportunity to, to pray and, and to, to speak of God's faithfulness. We, we can tell others of His faithfulness. So, so maybe if you've gone through a difficult season, you can... Tell someone about how God's been faithful to you. And maybe as you tell them about how God's been faithful to you, you'll remind yourself of His faithfulness and it will strike up some feelings of joy in you. And, and we strive to walk in obedience to Him. We, we don't stop obeying even though we don't feel joy. Again, Robert Somerville puts it this way, "...the deep good feelings follow the act of obedience." The deep good feelings follow the act of obedience. At, time, at times we have to obey God and wait for our feelings to catch up. We have to fight for joy. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation in just a moment. This is our opportunity to respond to God's Word. Um, and the, the invitation is really simple. But it could mean a number of things to who, depending on who you are. The invitation is to rejoice in the Lord, which means to express confidence and trust in Him. So if you've never trusted in Christ, then maybe that's where you would start today, is by putting your trust in Him. Uh, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and maybe you're one of those people who has a, a big capacity for joy, but you, you say, you know what, my joy is kind of superficial. It, it's kind of based on just how easy my circumstances are or how my temperament is, and I really need to work on making sure that my joy is coming from the fountain of God's faithfulness and mercy. 
or maybe you're someone who has to fight for joy, I, I pray that uh, something I've said today would, would help you in that fight for joy. If you ever want to talk with me, I, I would love to, to talk with you and see if I can help you in any way or, or point you to somebody who can. Um, but we need one another. God has designed us to need one another. And uh, so I, I just pray that the Spirit will, will move and, and help you to know how to respond rightly today. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, your mercies that never cease, uh, never come to an end. And we do uh, declare that your faithfulness is great and Lord, I pray that, uh, Spirit of God, you would come alongside your word and impress it upon our hearts, Lord, that, that anything I said that was not in line with your word, that it would be removed from our memory. But Lord, to the extent that the words I said were in accord with what you say in your word, I pray that you would impress their truth upon our hearts and God, help them Help us to hear them not as words from me, but as, as your truth. And God, that our response today would be one of, of surrender and submission to you. God, that we would run to you as a father who loves us and whose arms are open. Um, so God, help us not to harden our hearts. Help us to be responsive uh, to what you have said to us today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.